Happy Monday, beautiful people. Welcome to Love, Bath, Love Talk. I'm Beth Rose Ivy. I'm delighted, delighted, delighted to be with you this morning. Uh, we had an exceptional weekend. The weather was perfection. Do you know what it's like to have perfect weather? It was beautiful. So anyway, I had some folks on the porch. Finn sang on the porch this weekend. Uh, it couldn't have been more beautiful. Seriously, it, it just couldn't have been more amazing to have her um, sing and uh, create art for us. It was, it was everything. So anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the next hour I got Paul Bass coming on because he was in Tulsa and, uh, and I want to know why. And you can find out why if you read the New Haven Independent, but uh, I want to, uh, I want to um, talk to him about it. So I'm excited. I hope you are too. So hang out, tune in. But let me talk about the weekend because the weekend was, you know, the weekend is always uh, rich for me because I love the weekends. Love, love, love the weekends. So it started off, let's see, what did I do Friday? I think I just hung out on the porch on Friday. Uh, I suppose go to a cookout. Saturday, but I didn't get there because I couldn't find parking. <laughs> so that that was a pain. So I ended up hanging out back at the porch. I did some work in my apartment, which I'm very happy about because I had, it was just driving me nuts not to be able to get through here. So it, I woke up this morning, I'm like, oh, this is good. And I got to finish up my kitchen and then master my bedroom because it is a, a hurricane in there. Uh, but the But the star of the weekend was um, having Finn on the porch, uh, Finn Wiggins Henry, and uh, it was such a such a good time. She she did a nice little set, little 30, 45 minute set of some songs that she wrote, songs that she covered. Uh, it was great. The weather was perfect. Copious amounts of rosé, copious amounts of rosé. Like we still have rosé left. Um, good food, not, you know, not the best food, but great food, you know, just enough to drink and eat, you know, uh, if they made macaroni salad, I brought some potato salad that I, I kind of dig from Aldi, uh, it was good. So, um, uh, just, it's just a wonderful time to just be in community, I think. And that's really what I want to say. Some good folks came by, by Rooney came and hung out. I met her a story week. She's a, 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 a Puerto Rican girl from, from New York. And she's just, I mean, she, she is so unbelievably smart. And you know, she's, uh, she's, she's what you want uh, uh, a public intellectual to be. I don't think she would ever call herself a public intellectual, but she's so smart. Uh, and I don't think she realizes just how smart she is. You know, uh, she has such great command of language. And uh, and I, I admire people who have a good command of language, you know, that that can um, talk real, uh, but you understand that there is a hell of a lot of education underneath it. And uh, so I, 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 I like people that can sort of center themselves in their culture and still, you know, uh, convey in, in, in ways that we all know how to talk, uh, uh, context and 
and concrete stuff. So I, I just dig her. And her husband is darling, darling, darling. You know, Joanne Wilcox showed out. Um, Clinton, Suzanne Clinton showed up and, and brought me a plant. Uh, Joanne brought some flowers from her garden. Uh, you know, Kay is all who lives around the corner. Ife, of course. Um, Zaniah, who is um, Finn's um, manager. My daughter, her new boyfriend, who is a Marine, he came through for a minute. Um, it was just a wonderful, it was just a wonderful day. Uh, the weather was perfect. You know, I mean, we're in Newhallville, so you get, you get the sounds of Newhallville. And we hung out till about 11 o'clock. I mean, people left, you know, but, you know, we hung out till about 11 o'clock. Uh, uh, Lauren came. She hung out for a good while and she had to bounce because the store is open and, you know, she had to go make sure, you know, to handle that stuff. Um, but it was good. So Dory Dumas, Dory's birthday is Thursday because uh, she's been celebrating. I finally had to text us like, girl, when is your birthday? Because you've been celebrating since I don't know when. <laughs> so her birthday is Thursday, 27. So, um, so it was a good weekend. I mean, it was a good it's a good weekend in community. Uh, Ife did a talk over at Next Haven that uh, Tabisa Rich and her husband are launching some kind of arts uh, commitment to community thing. And uh, so they kicked off with a, a conversation that included uh, Kim Weston and Tabisa and uh, Ife and another young sister. And it was, uh, it was uh, facilitated by Malachi Eason from the uh, International Festival of Arts and Ideas. So uh, so it was good, you know. Oh, and Juanita Sunday was on the porch, you know, and she's getting ready for Sixth Dimension. I can't wait to have her come on so we can talk about that. I went to it up at the community college, I mean, at uh, Connecticut College, and uh, it was so well received. And so now she's doing a New Haven. She got a nice grant to pull this off. So I, I'm excited to see how it all plays out. I tell you, these folks is doing some stuff. Lit Fest is coming up. I can't wait. I guess DiasporaCon, they haven't set a date, but it's coming up. And uh, this year's Lit Fest has a romance component to it and Roxanne Gay and uh, Beverly uh, Jenkins. I mean, it's got some, you know, this thing has got some heavy hitters. And you know, I'm going to be all up in the mix doing something. I'm going to have some of them on the show. I got to start scheduling uh, their time on the radio so that we can start talking about you know, when they're coming. So I'm excited by that. I'm, I'm just excited. So, so yeah, listen, it's Monday. I think the weather is good all week. So there's no reason for you not to enjoy this summer. Although I see the back to school stuff. Woo, chap. I'm so glad I'm not in that game. Cause I know, I remember I had to use, my kids were in parochial school. So this time we'd be going to buy all the damn uniforms, which was an arm and a leg. And a, it was a lot. It was a lot. So, oh yeah, Sophie popped by on the porch who lives around the corner. So she walked over, which was nice. You know, so it was good. It was good, it was good, it was good. It was good. And, uh, um, it was it was a it was a good weekend. I'm just saying. So it was it's nice to uh, 
gather with people. It's my favorite thing. It really is my favorite thing to just hang out with people and, uh, you know, do all the stuff. So that's what we did. We hung out. And, uh, you know, just hung out. And, uh, you know, it was great. I had a good time. Had a really good time. So anyway, I know I'm distracted because I'm looking at news. I'm talking. I'm trying to be up. I'm drinking some lemon water from last night. This was some good lemon water. Just some fresh water with some lemons in it. I mean, you can't beat that. It was so good. So I, 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 uh, it was good. So, um, I guess I want to talk a little bit about, <laughs> Ron, Ron, Ron DeSantis, or what they lovingly call him in other parts of the world, Ron DeSatan. I mean, I, I person, my personal is Ron DeStupid. So, Florida ushered into legislation this, I don't, I don't know what you would call this, this revisionist history of America pertaining to slavery. And I guess there's some components in it that said Black enslaved people benefited from slavery because of the skills they learned while enslaved that benefited them later in life. Oh, and I don't, it's not funny in the sense, ha ha, it's funny, sad. And I was reading the piece on Chris Christie and he was like, he was like, he had the nerve to backtrack from this. Like he, like he's not the governor. He's, and, and so DeSantis is in press conference saying, oh, I didn't do this. They did this. I, I don't know who the they is. But it comes across your desk for your pen. And, and so he's like, and I'm sure they're going to have some facts or factual stuff. And he's like talking like an idiot. Factual stuff that will show that this was the case. What was the case, slavery? Or that blacks benefited from slavery? I don't, I don't, I don't know what they're doing in Florida. I don't know. And I know this is, and I know he's only doing this for mass appeal because he thinks other white people who will vote for him feel this way and this is what they believe even if it's not true not one hair not one iota but stupid is the stupid does so the fact that he could get away with this and that people in florida i i, I don't even want to this is how i feel and i know this is harsh but it's no more harsher than the stupidity that they've already put in place if I'm an, a college admissions officer or department 
in any college in this university, in, the, in any college or university outside of Florida, I would not accept those students. I know it's a tough penalty. And, and the minute that they get the rejection letters, everybody's gonna be up in arms. And I would make them have hearings on this. And let me tell you why we're not accepting. He said, because your curriculum, your educational curriculum across your state is unacceptable and unfit for a student uh, of our caliber at our institution. That's all I would say. And then they would say, well, why? Why? Because you start off teaching a lie. You're not interested in the truth. And our institution of higher education is about the truth. So we're not going to accept you. And let me tell you something. If the Ivy League schools and the bigger schools and the fancier schools will stop accepting them, then everybody else will follow suit too. You know, and I and I and I and I remove HBCUs from this foolishness because when you go to HBCU, you're gonna get some black history anyway. You're gonna have a whole course on in your freshman year. So it's gonna be a whole thing. So it's gonna be a part of our what you do. So I I'm I'm not holding this. Uh, for them, but I am holding it for these other institutions. So if anybody is an admissions person at any university or college in this country of merit, not these evangelical religious zealotry places, not those places where you where most of y'all not gonna send your kids no way, but the Yales, the Harvards, the Princetons, Colgate, Stanford, all those places, Brown, Rutgers, um, Bryn Mawr, Vassar, uh, uh, UNH, <laughs> Albertus Magnus, all the school, I mean, just about any school that has some sense of respectability and a modicum of understanding of history, particularly schools that already have bona fide African-American studies. If you're an admissions just do yourself a favor and 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 make a stack of all the Florida students. Just make a stack and then have a committee review. And then I would make all of them come. If, if they're serious about coming to my institution, they'd have to come to an open house so I could see them. I need to see them. I, they have to come to a mandatory open house in order to apply to our school. And, and I want to see them. And then we're going to go over what you've learned. I don't care if it takes a week. It doesn't matter. It wouldn't matter to me because this is what I would have to do to combat that Floridian foolishness. And I hope other schools start to do that and just stand up and say, we, we, we as a body of higher education cannot in good conscience accept students from Florida schools of, of, of high school graduating high school students because we have no confidence in their intellectual awareness or their intellectual capital around learning history in this country. And we, we in good conscience can't undo that. They have to arrive with some modicum of truth in them. And <clears throat> From what we can see based on Florida's curriculum, they're not getting that. So listen, they will do well in their own schools in Florida. 
except HBCUs. That's how I would play that. I would just come, I want some president of some college to have the courage to sort of say that. Like, I know, and it'll, it'll take some, some huge, some guts to do it, you know. I wish Pete Salovey could come out and say, listen, from here on out, uh, we're going to look, uh, students that apply to us from Florida, we have to uh, really, 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 because you, you already made one mistake, Yale, with letting DeSantis in, but, and now you can't undo it. And, you know, somebody needs to tell DeSantis, you're not going to be president, dog. Shut your offices down. Give back the money. You're not going to be president. It's o You're done. It's over for you. Now that you got Chris, Chrisky, Christy barking at you and nobody barks better, now that he seems to come back to his senses and he's off the Trump juice, because, you know, he was drinking the Trump, ju Trump juice too, and it made him paralyzed. <laughs> Remember, we saw him. He was like a deer with the headlights. He was paralyzed drinking that Trump juice. But now he's not. He's not drinking it. So he's coming out swinging. You know, now he's not going to be president either. But what he can do is at least try to rescue as many of the GOP ninny heads as he can by speaking some truth about stuff. And that might jar them back into trying to rescue their party from crazy. And yeah, maybe not. <laughs> the GOP is the party of crazy, right? They are just, I know Ronald Reagan is probably not happy with none of this. The Bushes, they're not happy either, but they steady raise money for stupidness. Because George Bush, the son, uh, the, the third or whatever it is, he was he was out there pimping for Donald Trump. He was raising money. He was raising money for the Trump campaign. Now, I don't know if he's still going to raise money this third time around but he was raising money he was making them calls to donors and stuff and why this was important nobody puts that out there because it's embarrassing they're all embarrassed now but they're not embarrassed enough to come out and refute it why because they're whores to the vote they are whores to the vote they don't they don't care they don't care if for them it's all about the win they don't care about the quality of the people who vote for them, they don't care. It doesn't matter. So when you have people like that who don't care and who by any means necessary will rob, steal, legislate votes away from people to favor other people. And they're all doing this trickery around this country, around it, around it. I just saw something that, uh, this morning that said, there's a, there's a bill running through that got passed, I think, that um, is shutting down whoever gets, whoever funds some Juneteenth at the state level will lose funding for their state around some other things. And these bills were co-signed by uh, people in Texas where Juneteenth originated. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? No, we can't imagine because the level of foolishness and trickery that's going on. 
That's why they do this. One hand over here, and then another hand is doing the thing. So, you know, we need people to watch both hands with them because they're just outrageous and doing outrageous things. So I just, it's, ex it's, it's exhausting. Politics is, is exhausting, particularly for lay people. Because if you're going about the course of your day, your work, whatever, you, you don't really have the time to stay on CNN or MSNBC or any of the shows to, to and if and if Sunday is your day, you a whole weeks to pack in what has happened. It's challenging. So the the average ordinary person is not gonna fall in and follow in and all this other kind of stuff. So they know that. So they so they so they put these things in place because they know folks are not paying attention. They're not woke. They're not woke. They know it. So that's why they get away with doing all this stuff. And people just like, well, sounds like a good idea to me. No, it's not a good idea. It's not a good idea. Not a good idea. Just not. You know, and you know, we got this ridiculous Supreme Court. Well, the, the, the Supreme Court in and of itself is not ridiculous. Just a few players on it. Just a few players. I, I you know, I'm waiting for them to, to roll back emancipation. Am I am I am I being too dramatic? No. I'm just waiting for them to roll back and, and bring back some Jim Crow laws. That sounds like the natural order of things to me. Jim Crow, you know, whites only, blacks only. No, we're not going back to that. I, I'm sorry, we never left it. Just because they took the signs down don't mean it went away. <sighs> Lord have mercy. Oh, there's my light. My light wasn't working. So now I got two lights on. I'm going to turn this light out. Save it for another day. So I, that's, I just, it's exhausting to sort of immerse yourself in politics i get it i understand it i feel that for people it's exhausting and it's an ever-changing ever-shifting landscape and you could and you could go down a rabbit hole on one particular issue you know but the problem is there's a buffet of issues and no one has the time or the inclination or the willpower to stay on top of the whole buffet you know so you might take climate change as your thing. You might take education as your thing. You might take black women's maternal health as your thing. You might take overall health care as your thing. You might take aging as your thing. You might take, oh God, there's so many things that you could just take from the buffet of American legislative stuff. Um, yeah, it's a lot. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. But I, I don't say that to discourage people. I say it to say that we have to be ever vigilant. You have to you have to stay ever vigilant, vigilant, vigilant. You have to stay ever vigilant because it's difficult and it's challenging and. Uh, we have to, uh, we have to make a way. We absolutely have to make a way. 
And, uh, and if we don't do that, what do we have? You know, what, what do we have? You know, so we have to, we have to worry about threats, um, domestic and abroad. And it seems to be our domestic challenges are the things that's going to break us. The things that's going to break us. And it's uh, it, these are challenging times. I'm, you know, I'm listening to the Texas governor. He put these boy, these buoys out in the lake in the rivers, so that uh, migrants and immigrants can't get through. And there are buoys that are wrapped in barbed wire. And now the whole world is saying this is inhumane. The president has said it's inhumane you know, the president of these United States and the governor who sits in a wheelchair uh, is, is not backing down. He feels like, well, we, I have to, I have to protect the borders. And he's instructing the folks that are watching the borders to throw people back into the river, literally push them back into the river. Don't give them any food or water. And these people, these people will claim a Christian identity in a heartbeat. They will stand in churches all across Texas and raise their hand to God and believe themselves to be God-fearing. And yes, I'm being hella judgmental here. No question. I don't got no problem with it. I don't got no problem being judgmental because let me tell you something. You putting buoys out there wrapped with uh, barbed wire so that women and children and people can't get through or if they get through, they are so harmed. I don't even know how you call yourself human. Th throw your governor in the water and see how he do. Tell him to go out there and see how he could get through. Throw him out there with wheelchair and all. See how that works. See if he could get through the, the bobbed, barbed, wired buoys. I want to see that. Test it out. Go and take a test. Because I want you to be absolutely certain and sure of what you are putting out there. Throw your governor in the war in the river and see if he could get through. With his, put some floaties on the wheelchair. See what happens. I want him to test it. I want him to, and then I want him to come back and say, I, I think these are humane. I, I want him to test it. Since he seems to not understand what humanity is. He's challenged on how we treat other humans. You know, man, I wish Beto O'Rourke could have won that damn seat. Try again, Beto, try again just terrible and everybody believe the even the the people that 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 monitor inhumane treatment around the globe was like hey texas this breaks all kinds of rules dude i don't care i don't want them to come over the border As if they're taking resources from Texans. They're not. They're not taking resources from Texans. 
you show me what Texas is not getting all the resources that Texans deserve and need. Not near none of them. When these people come to town, they don't, they're not problematic. I mean, yeah, you, yeah, there's a few that are problematic, but guess what? So are Texans. How many problematic Texans do you have? Wasn't Texas the place where the guy was dragged alive to his death? I'm sorry. Yeah, the brother, brother being black man, right? Come on, Texas, knock it off. But here we are, 2023. I'm, I'm just waiting for somebody to put a bill, put a bill on the floor to saying, you know what? We'd like to roll back emanci the Emancipation Proclamation. Why not? Doing everything else. You know, I'm just saying. You gonna roll that back too? So, well, roll that back. Uh, see what happens. You know, enact some Jim Crow laws. You know, like you used to. Y'all want the good old days so bad. Let's see what happens. I'm not trying to incite nothing. I'm not doing it. Listen, we've already seen the insurrection on the on the on the capital of these United States. We already seen that. That wasn't in 1856. That was just last last winter. <laughs> okay, you know you got a president a, a a president who was indicted three times, and he's still calling the shots. He's still calling the shots. And these Republicans, they don't know what to do because they want those votes so desperately that they are going to say anything and do anything, not in the best interest of this country, not in the best interest of the Constitution, but in their best interest because they want to be in power so badly that they are willing to sell their souls and their grandmama's souls for the, for the, for the chance to continue more of the same. And for what? You got dummy head um, Ted Cruz talking about Barbie's propaganda of China. You got the the green woman running around comparing Biden to FDR, and she thinks that's an insult. <laughs> she she thinks that's an insult. Bless her heart, bless her heart. She thinks that's an insult. And uh, I mean, it's just outrageous. The stuff that they're willing to do. And then the capstone is Ron DeSantis and the foolishness that is happening in Florida. And I'm just thinking, I, I, I don't understand how Floridian parents would want their kids to be the stupid ones. You, you want your kids to be the laughing stock of the world because your world is so limited to Florida. And you don't even want to just, you don't even want to not only explore and discover the history of just Florida, <laughs> not these United States proper, just Florida. You don't want to 
You don't want to learn that. And so you want, you just want your kids to know, I don't know what you want them to know. There's no part of American history that black people of African descent has not been a part of, has not been a part of. So you could try to erase us all you want, and, and that's, I think, at the heart of this. But the reality is at every turn, there we are. At every turn. Yes, some stories have been buried and hidden, and they are now starting to see the light of day. Um, and, and that's just going to keep happening as people find their roots and their, and, their, and, their, and their histories of their families. I don't know. I just, I just, it's just a level of crazy that, but, but, you know, as I always say, we were meant for these times. This is a rec, this is a reckoning moment. I think any reckoning moment is not easy because if it was easy, we would have done it. You know, we would have done it. A reckoning moment is going to challenge everybody. It's gonna call on your moral compasses. It's gonna call on, challenge what you used to believe, what you thought you believed. Um, and you're going to see that the half truths and the half lies can't stand. They won't stand. So do all this to your peril. Do all of it to your peril. But you're not going to silence scholars. You're damn sure not going to silence the NAACP, the Urban League, the Divine Nine. You're not going to silence all these people that have access. Because now we got PhDs in the game. We have scholars and public intellectuals in the game who write books, who are talking and speaking, who are putting out um, dissenting opinions. You're not going to, it's not going to be as easy as it was at the turn of the last two centuries where you could just sort of lose stories and history and truth. Uh -uh, uh -uh, uh -uh. There are people right now doing research. I'm sure there's some scholars right now sitting in the Schomburg looking up stuff. <laughs> I know there's some scholars sitting right now at Yale at one of them damn libraries, Sterling, the Beinecke, somewhere, looking up stuff. <laughs> I know it. I know there's some, some scholars somewhere at Howard or Spelman or Tuskegee or Fisk or, or, or Cheney or all the places. Johnson C. Smith and... Uh, um, North Carolina A&T, Livingston. I mean, there's, there's some students sitting somewhere and scholars sitting somewhere pouring over documents from the 1700s to 1800s, finding stories, finding, finding artifacts, finding bits and pieces of documents. So this reckoning, this, rec this moment of reckoning, and we haven't even got to the tipping point yet. We're getting there, but we're not there. Uh, where we're gonna turn the we're gonna turn the corner, and and it's gonna be one. And and maybe it's not this next election, 
but maybe the one after, because you know people are fickle and stupid, so they need hard evidence off, oftentimes of you know going to hell before they turn around and say, you know what, I don't like this. We'll see. So this moment of reckoning for us as a country is painful. And oh yes, there's a lot of people who can't stand it and don't want to do it and is not going to participate. And that's fine because that's not the moment that you're called upon. But there will be a moment that you will be called upon. There'll be a moment for all of us that will be called upon to sort of decide where do we want this country to go? Where do we want this country to go? And there are people who, who are fighting it all the time, who are fighting with tooth and nail. Listen, this is where we need to be as a country. We can't go back. You know, using, you know, I guess the Jason Aldeans of the world you know, with these songs that are dog whistle songs, you know. And, you know, he is trying, a couple of things. He probably feels this way in real life and he's trying to get paid for it because he know them good old boys will buy that mess and think it's some kind of anthem. Well, not in my small town. I'm sorry, what did you do in a small town when gunmen let loose at your concert? You got your ass off the stage. You didn't go come back out with your, whatever it is you sing about, your gun. You didn't come back out with your firearm to, to, to help. You took, got your ass off the stage. Quick, fast, in a hurry. And I bet you from now on at your concerts, ain't nobody going to be allowed to bring no guns in. I guarantee you they're going to have metal detectors and all that kind of stuff. You can't bring that in here, sir. I don't care what I sing about. <laughs> There's a reason why the, the GOP don't have guns at their conventions. They don't allow guns in their conventions, not near one of them. Why? Do as I say, not as I do. Uh, we gonna talk again, but we don't want it to pop off up in here. It's like, oh, I want you to carry a gun, but me, I'm not gonna carry a gun. But I want you to, you know, do the work, do the dirty work for me. And I sit back and like keep legislating on your behalf. Hypocrites, liars, thieves, hypocrites. That's it. And we are in this moment of reckoning. Well, we're at this moment of beginning to reckon. Because this, you know, we slide it closer to a head. We slide into a head. You know, we slide into a head. We're not there yet. We're not at the precipice. We're not. It's a, not a tipping point yet. It's coming. There's some kind of thing coming that will make us all go. Now, if the, if the weather wasn't a lesson across the country, if the heat is not a lesson, if what Florida is doing and Texas is doing is not a lesson, if not rolling back Roe v. Wade is not a lesson, <laughs> if no, we don't have a damn voters' right bill, if that's not a lesson, all of it is, but it's all going to, you know, what America's gonna have to make some hard decisions. It's not like we made we haven't made hard decisions. So anyway, I'm gonna take a break. I'm coming back with Paul Bass. And we're gonna talk about Tulsa and his time there and what he's trying to do. Independent critical review team. Hmm, I like it. Me likes it. So I'll be back. He'll be back to 1015. <laughs> Thank you.
Hi, this is Babs Girls Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut, and you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, streaming live at newhavenindependent.org.
and she's been in love before. She fills my loving cup up to the brim. And that little bit that I don't get, she gave to him, yeah. I can't share my baby with nobody else I'm gonna keep this woman all to myself Cause what she's got is on the ball I tell you man I've got to have it all She's 99 This is Harry Drove, and you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. Yeah, this is a story of Fanny's dog. But the dog that chases its tail will be busy. He's a clapping dogs, rhythmic dogs, harmonic dogs, house dogs, street dogs, dogs of the world unite, dancing dogs.
Why is y'all doing that? Welcome back to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk on Babs and Anxiety. I got the Paul Bass in the house. Hey, Paul. Good, good morning, Babs. How you doing? You look good. What's going on? <laughs> you look good too. <laughs> you look great. So you were in Tulsa. I read the piece up on the New Haven Independent. So uh, why Tulsa? Tell me why Tulsa. How you doing it, anyway? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Listen, it's summer. I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, I, I follow everything you do on social media. That's how we all live our lives vicariously now in New Haven. It's all the places Babs goes. Even when you're relaxing, it's like the funnest place to be in New Haven is your ports vicariously. <laughs> and all the stuff we imbibe without having to like pay the physical cost because we like do it from a distance. You know? Yeah, well, listen, come on over. You're welcome to come through anytime. Thank you. Thank you. Um ended up at Tulsa as an unpredicted outgrowth of a new project we're taking on at the independent mm -hmm. so for a few months now i've been working on a new project as you knew to try to create a nationwide network of local arts reviewers as an experiment and whether we can bring back in person local reviewing of plays concerts art gallery shows poetry readings the way we brought back in-person local news reporting 18 years ago, is there a new model? Now that the mainstream media and even alternative media have given up in most cities, not New Haven, not New York, but in most cities, if you're playing a live show, if you have an art exhibit, if you put on a play, there's almost no chance someone's going to show up and review it, tell people what happened, document it, say what they thought about it. I always valued that a lot. I think that our culture is our politics with soul. We're another way we're trying to work out our common goals and dreams and differences and how we live together and what it all means in a way that's sometimes easier to even though it can be just as painful even more raw when we tell the stories it's a way we can be together as a community and live together and and have a common purpose and to no longer because the business models of journalism no longer support that kind of work doesn't mean it shouldn't be done you know the whole new Industry has grown up nonprofit and have found a way to make it work for in profit in person news reporting locally. I thought, let's just see if there are different ways we could try it in different cities to see what works and what doesn't work to try to bring back in person 
arts viewing and also support reviewers and support local arts. So we figured we'll pick a few cities where we know people because it doesn't matter where you do it. There are 100 or 200 cities in America where you could do this, where a lot of stuff goes on. Almost every I was going to ask stuff. you, like, what, what was it about Tulsa that was attractive? Like, That's why what was Tulsa so funny. and not Memphis or why Tulsa? Well, Memphis definitely, not, definitely is. So I no. think there are about 100, 200 places that I did research. And it was almost like a comedy routine. Every place you went, the <laughs> daily or if they're still in Walt Weekly, no one reviewed anything, but they all say the five things to do this weekend. Or the feature with the cool person. And those are good. I'm not putting that down, Babs. I'm just saying nowhere did they show up anymore the way we always used to have reviewers in every city, you know, whether classical music, pop music, art gallery, arts, um, in the theater. So in mostly I said, since there's so many cities, let's just go with people we know or we find out about or are interesting because we're just trying to see how they build up the audience in these places, how you support the writer. But Tulsa kept coming up. Tulsa was the one exception. It started out with my daughter who's helping put this together. She's in Oakland in the art scene there. And she said, you know, I was talking about Tulsa. I said, Tulsa? So yeah, my friend got hired there to help them try to figure out. A lot of people move in there. They're doing an arts district. And my friend was hired to help them figure out how to do it diverse, do it in a diverse way, how to get because use of color, you know, people of color to be part of it. And then it just randomly, I kept coming up with Tulsa. There's some, my other daughter in Northampton, someone's working on her house, an old musician who used to live in Nashville. So, you know, everyone's last Nashville. Austin all got gentrified. They're all putting studios in new places. I said, where? He said, Tulsa. It was going to Tulsa. And then it kept coming up. And then, you know, the new book, Victor Luckerson's book about the massacre in Tulsa and how today they're still grappling with it and how do you rebuild that community? What that says about American race and violence in American city. Just everything kept coming up Tulsa. So I just thought, I wonder if anything's going down in Tulsa. Like <laughs> that should be the one city we try to figure out. So then it was like the comedy routine again. I, I caught up with some writers and one person said to me, we were just meeting about that today. All of us used to write arts reviews. There's no place to write them anymore, but there's 10 times as much going on as there used to be. So like she had grown up in Tulsa, went to New York, wrote for The Voice, came back. And then all of a sudden the Alternative Weekly went out of business. The Daily stopped, you know, shrunk, got bought out by a big company and stopped doing reviews. And I heard there's so many places. So okay, let's, we'll just go check it out. So I went with Carol, my wife, and, and my daughter, Sarah, who's working on the project. And we spent a week having a great time meeting everybody and all the fun stuff going on. I saw on you out day. just about every night, Paul. Like, I've never yeah. seen you out like that. We were out every night and every day, too. And, you know, they have like nine, ten concerts in Ice Baps, even on a weeknight. And, oh, of man, course, they have the Bob Dylan Museum. And Bob Dylan Museum, I mean, that was like heaven. I know, you, know, you spent a lot of time there. What, so what was that like, the Bob Dylan Museum? Like, you know, were it's you really surprised museum. by it, or did you know I about was. It? I knew it had started a year ago. We were all thinking, why Tulsa? And it turns out, you know, they had the Woody Guthrie archives and everything there already because he's Oklahoma and then he was an influence on Dylan. I was surprised by it, how good it was. I'm not a big museum person, you know, you try to, how do you capture the experience? They really made it about the process of creativity. So if you're a Dylan freak like me, you loved all the minutiae. But it, like that staircase I showed you, I'll be let you be your dream if you can be in mind. You kind of watch it up the stairs. And he also does, you know, visual art that's good. But also when they bring in the studio and actually showed you through audio clips and video, how they actually put together a song in production and made it so much more than it was originally and how they struggled with it. You know, I find that so interesting. And then they had all these other people, musicians who were influenced by Dylan who had their own jukebox and you have a jukebox you can play where they pick their favorite versions of the songs. And it's just a fun place and very well done. And it's an interesting city and change because it's still Oklahoma, which is a really red state. And like in a lot of those red states, it's got this deep, deep blue pocket in the midst of it. And they're still trying to, and you know, as we talk nationally about reparations and what an interesting conversation that is, I think you and I would agree 
that of course you have reparations. I don't think that's really the question. The question because some stuff was stolen. What form should it take? Who gets it? You know, like what, what's going to work and have an impact? That's all happening there, as well as informing this whole conversation about the arts, because an arts district is being built not on Black Wall Street. That's technically one block that also got mm -hmm. ripped apart by highway. Urban rule was the second destruction of that community. But right next to it is where this arts district is. And that's, you know, as much white as black. And it also is the only other place besides North Tulsa, which is the black area, because only 15% black um, population there. But when a black man ran for mayor last time, it was the new white people who moved to town and North Tulsa that voted for the black man and the old kind of Tulsa that, that went with. And it was so, you know, everything blew your mind. It was also different. Like, you know, I, I went to the Cafe Nine, Persia Cafe Nine, and it's just great. They have music every night, it's a little bigger really fun place down to earth, great sound system. And and they also had, um, it's never your turn. There's something that kind of catches you by surprise. Like I went to the synagogue, like, you know, Jews in Oklahoma, right? They had uh, they had, did have to have a lot of security there, you know, so Timothy McVeigh's not far from there. And, uh, but I was surprised on a Sunday, Saturday morning, you know, for the Shabbat service, a third of the people were not white. What do you mean? And it, like they, they, it turns out that the synagogue is their version of Iris. <laughs> it's, they they have a whole staff and they're approved by the federal government. There are only like seven to eight of them around the country. There's Iris and there's the synagogue. That three people a week, they're bringing refugees from other countries. They brought hundreds. And, and are these refugees Jewish? No, but a small percentage of them said, we'll hang out here and become Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have a whole business, not just for the for the refugees, not for the Jewish refugees. Where they make there's a bakery and they all have jobs there and they, you know, they're known for their cookies nationally. Because when I said I was going to Tulsa, my rabbi said, "Oh, check out the cookies." They have this whole they have this whole refugee cookie business that runs out. I <laughs> know that the the contrasts are pretty deep when you go from place to place. I was in this one neighborhood where it's gotten blue, but there was this one right wing. It looked like one of the commenters in the Independent had a lawn. You know, the right wing ones had a lawn display with like a a black jockey. You know, like a sample thing. Right next to the like, we believe science and Black Lives Matter and all this. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting place. It's raw. It's changing. It's dynamic, and the arts are really what's happening there. It used to be an oil place, and there's this foundation that funds a lot of it. Someone who left oil and she used the money to try to promote a whole arts and tech district. So I guess it's not really Austin yet because it's really inexpensive and it's not dense. They're a couple mm -hmm. of skyscrapers, but there's just a lot going on. People just doing stuff. So do you do you feel do you feel like um um Tulsa is a good place to sort of have it be one of the places where people are reviewing? Definitely the place to have reviewing because it has all different kinds of culture. There are so many writers, so much arts going on. They're one of the places like we're gonna have three or four cities where we have a review almost every day. That's gonna be one of them. And we have already hired the group there. We, we got the writer, this really terrific writer. And there's this publication that, you know, the people used to be at Alternative Weeklies. They tried starting up a publication that previews the arts and things like that. This is going to enable them to take their publication to the next step and have reviews. So, like, the idea is that we'll publish them in our little site. And starting after Labor Day, when we go from beta to our official site, we're going to start doing our own newsletter and everything. But what we're really looking to do is build local audiences and there, they're just going to, they've already started. They're already publishing there. Their publication is taking its next step up, their online publication. And they're going to have a review almost every day. And there's someone there who lives there 
who was a reviewer there, who was born there, came back from New York. I was telling you about her. She's a very good writer. She's helming it. We're just paying her to helm it. So, so, so explain to, to, to all of us how this is going to work. So if you're in Tulsa, you're reviewing Tulsa, where does your review show up at? And, and shows how do up two places. Okay. So it's going to show up in something called Root Tulsa. It's an online newsletter publication. It's got thousands of readers. Okay, so, so you it's see already it, an established. Are, yeah, we're entity. just taking it. They're now going to the next level. Okay. They didn't used to have reviews. Now you're going to have reviews in that as well. Okay. And you're paying now, for somebody to, to help hold that, helm that, um, so that they can have a dedicated team of folks who are reviewing. Right. And we're also going to publish them on our website. Okay. Because nobody's going to see much yet. But after Labor Day, we're going to ramp it up. Because what we're going to do, Babs, we're going to have three or four cities like that. They're going to be like New Haven with their view almost every day. We're probably going to do Oakland. We're not sure what the other ones are yet. And then we're going to have just some people. We're trying them all out now, like Jamil Ragland in Hartford, who's excellent. He's done a couple of reviews already. He'll probably continue doing a couple. So it's not the city has it every day, but they'll have this writer we're nurturing doing a couple a week, one or two a week. We have someone in Troy, Albany. We have someone in Northwest Arkansas we're trying out. We have someone in New York, someone in Boston, um, someone in Chattanooga, someone in Providence. And then so that you have your core cities where almost every day you got something and we're going to look for a way locally in each of those cities for people who live there to get it while we okay. separately while we separately see after September if there are a lot of if there are some people in the country who do want to look at seven cities or so regularly and just see what's going on in those places. If you're the kind of person, it's not a huge market for that, right? That's not the main goal. Also, once a year, we're going to bring, we're calling them fellows, the main writers to New Haven get them to be together and meet with someone who's a more experienced reviewer, veteran reviewer of some place, and just have a day to hang out, talk about reviewing once a year. And that's the idea. So, so have you talked to arts communities and, and do they think this is a good idea? It depends. Everyone says, sure, come right. I mean, Tulsa was excited. They put out the red carpet first, perhaps like our second day there, we were meeting everybody, you know, like the head of the museum, the head of the foundation, the, you know, the people who do, they have, they have a thing like Next Haven. We met her where they bring, they house all the artists they bring in, you know, obviously everybody wants more attention. They want more review. We'll see what happens when you don't like what they put on, but you know, because some people realize that's good for a community to have critical voice that you can count on. I believe in that also talks about where they don't agree with you, but um. Right now, we're definitely hearing that, that people are like, I was surprised because I never thought of New York, right? The only reason we got some stuff in New York is because there's some writers there. We would never go out and search in New York. What surprised me was that people are saying they can't get stuff reviewed in New York. So even though you have reviews in the Times and you have some of these blogs, I guess so much goes on there. Most of it doesn't get reviewed. Yeah. So that was interesting to me because part of what we're up to is to nurture the writers and we're hoping they all get stolen. So for in a community, someone's writing some reviews in Boston or Chattanooga. We hope that within a few months, somebody steals them and says, hey, this is really good. People want to read it. We'll hire them. Because we're not looking to be the, a, a real publication. It's more like a network that nurtures reviewing. And really, we're going to try out in our main cities. We try it out in different ways about how do you build the audience. Like in Oakland, we might put our starting in September, put out our own twice a week newsletter, e-newsletter that we build up and see if that's a way to build an audience. Whereas in Tulsa, we're definitely going into the existing publication. I don't know if we're going to go in LA and New York, but people talking to there have existing publications that just don't do their reviewing. So the idea is to help that grow, but not in a way to permanently subsidize it. It's not like we have a lot of money, but like to show that it works and that people want to read it. Sort of like the independent, right? When we started, 
we were one of the first two in the country. And it's not that we tried to build up and own other places, try to run some big corporation that doesn't scale. But a lot of people came to us and said, how do you do this? And now they're over 400 because the idea does work. But we didn't know how it would work. We did a lot of mistakes too. You know, we'll make a lot of mistakes with this too. Either it's not good quality or it turns out people don't want to read it that way. We had all sorts of ideas about like nanotech and national beats that might work to a local site the way it used to in the internet didn't work that way. But people really did have the ability in so many communities to have nonprofit reporting supported. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hoping to accomplish the same thing with ours. We just try some stuff, fail, succeed, and inspire some other people to do it well and, and just sort of throw in this idea that we can still review stuff and in new ways too, that it matters. If these events happen, they matter. If people write about it, that matters. If we weigh in on it, that matters. And that it can still be done. We don't have to give up on that. So what is it about the the idea of arts that attracted you? Because you could have you could have picked anything. I mean you could have picked yeah. sports. <laughs> I'll tell you, you how I got it. News, other well, news. sports, I think sports is doing pretty well at local internet. I was reading a, an interview in the New York Times. You know, I get my ideas on Shabbos when I'm not working and I tune off and then all of a sudden my mind goes crazy. And every Shabbos, I get some crazy idea reading the paper about what we could do. And I'll spend millions of people's dollars, but luckily Shabbos, I can't call them or spend the money. And usually it's a dumb idea. So by the end, the sun goes down. I said, that was ridiculous, you know, but this one stuck. It was a Saturday afternoon. I was reading an interview with a guy named Alberto Obraglin, who was the head of the Knight Foundation. He became the head of Knight the year we started the Independent. And he had a mission. He had two missions with all that money of Knight, which was to save local journalism in a nonprofit way and revive the arts. So he was a helper of us at the beginning, and he used to fly me around the country and Will Ginsburg to talk to other cities about how you do this. And he was wildly successful. He knows 80 times more than I ever knew about newspapers and news. And, you know, he had billions to play with, and he built up this whole industry. And I was reading an interview with him because he's retiring about all he accomplished with that and all he accomplished with arts. They focused their arts in Miami, these cool poetry festivals where they like rained poems down from a plane onto soccer stadiums, all this kind of cool stuff. But when I was reading that, I was thinking, you know, one thing that's missing is connecting those two. So much was done to revive local arts, so much done to local journalism. What about arts journalism? And I was thinking of Brian Slattery in New Haven. Ten years ago, one of our funders said, so much happens in New Haven. If I give you a little money, you just like write something every day about something that happened in the arts. And Brian ran with it. And people really appreciate it in New Haven that we do that. And I was thinking, why can't everybody have a crew like Brian's? Like, well, how would we make that happen? Could that happen? So I spent a few months researching it. As I said, I look in every city and I could never find any reviews, but I could find the previews and the features. But I'd find so much going on in places I never expected, right? And so then I thought, how would I put this together? So I, I actually met with a lot of people for a few months about how would you put this together? I heard a lot of ideas I decided not to pursue because they were more of the for-profit variety and scale and marketing. I thought, how do we do this? Just the idea, the genuine idea of true arts reviewing. And, and why I'm personally involved, Babs, is I'm not an arts writer. But I, like you, I really love the arts. They're so important to me. I, when I grew up, I, the first thing I read in the paper wasn't the news. It was the arts. It was mm. the review. If I went to a concert, I'd want to see what they said about the concert or play or movie. And if I didn't go, I wanted to read it anyway, even if I wasn't going to go, if it was over, because I'd like to hear what they had said about it, because I cared about movies and music and TV and plays and and I love the writers. I, I cared about the writing. You know, people, reviewers have a voice. And, and I felt like it's something that connects us 
something that is deeper. So that's why I say it's politics with soul because they deal with all the issues of who are we? How do we live as a community? What do we think about? Why are we here on this earth? How do we relate to each other? How do we deal with ugly things that have happened in our society and challenges? How do we celebrate the beauty and mark that and, and appreciate it? And how do we look at each other? You know, that that is politics, but you add the soul. Mm. So that's my answer for, for why. So I decided, you know, I stopped being the editor of The Independent. And one of our funders said, hey, you know, you got a little money there. See what next thing you want to figure out that's crazy that you'd want to try to take on. And, and uh, that's, how, that's how it happened. So is your idea is to um, marry seasoned art writers, journalists with up and coming or new um, artists, journalists, folks? That would be my ideal. Um, we're still in beta now, so we're just trying out lots of people. It has turned out that way. Half the people we have are people who used to do it professionally, and half are like early 20s and just starting out. They're really smart, and they're just hungry to do it. So I hope it, hope it turns out that way. That's definitely how the crew in Tulsa is shaping up. Um, you know, we're leaning a little more toward the younger. Oakland's definitely in the mix. Lisa Gray, remember her? She's going to write for us in Oakland. Yes, I know she's Lisa She's in Gray. Oakland. Yeah, she's in Oakland. And um He's more experienced and we got some people there right out of the gate there as well. And um, and we're going to try a lot of stuff that also turns out not to be good, you know, but not right out there. We're just going to try things, you know, and how do you measure good though? Like, particularly in the arts world, like how do you measure good and excellence and all the things? I care a lot about voice. Okay. I care a lot about the writer having something to say, to care about it, understand what's going on and then have a take. You know, like, and I and fun. <laughs> I'm hoping it's like not boring homework, and I'm hoping it's like makes you want to be interested. Yeah, it is hard to. It, hard, I think it, it would be fun. Miserable. I think it would be fun because I think I I like you, Paul. I used to read um, the Times and stuff like that because I wanted to, the arts thing would be the first thing I I pull right because I wanted to know the social scene and you know and their plays and you know people were singing at the Rainbow Room. I like I wanted. I wanted to be in that mix and I was, you know, young, I have no money, so I really couldn't be in the mix, but I loved reading about artists and what they were doing and who was having a new show. And now we got the video too. Like Brian Satterson knows right about these bands I'll never go see. And he also, when he's writing about it, I said, Oh, it's kind of interesting, this metal thing. And then I'll listen, I'll watch the video and I'll be into it. Like I'll understand the way I didn't. And I've kind of experienced it too. And that artist kind of then got it out too. Yeah. Well, I, I I think, you know, Lucy Gelman over at the Arts Paper, which, you know, I yes. have a fondness for the Arts Council. Me too. Yeah. Um, you know, is, is, you know, is trying to raise up a, a crop of journalists with that same sort of thinking around art and journalism and, and how do you uh, how do you tell a good story um, and how do you um, show that people are brought together through the through arts and all kinds of arts. So, I mean, so we're doing some of that here in New Haven already. Like we're already thinking about that. And uh, um, I think New I, Haven I, is sort of the exception. If you look yeah. at Lucy every day, she has an arts piece in the community. Yeah. Brian every day has some kind of review or something in the community in the summary S3. So that's the cities I looked at. If you want to talk about per capita, no one comes close to New Haven. When you look at the arts paper and what the independent does, there's not even, there's no place that does half that much. Per wow. Capita. Yeah. And that's sort of what I want to see. Could we, could we help some other places, but also figure out how would it work? 
Because like Lucy's a person who was able to get that support and figure out how to do it. And Brian was like ready to step in and make this thing happen. How, how do you make, how are other people going to be able to do this? And I don't know the answer, but if we give them some wings, let's see if they fly. Mm. Mm. And so it, it, you know, it almost feels like I can't imagine that a place like Oakland doesn't have like a critical arts review kind of vibe. But, but then at the same time, as newspapers sort of shut some of their departments down, um, that's probably one of the first things that, that gets- It is, and the all weeklies also close down. And also they still do arts, but it makes money more eyeballs if you do a preview or feature. And those are legitimate. I'm not criticizing them in the least. It's just that, just like national news is important, that always got covered, but local news, not as many people looked at the zoning board and the board of ed, but it mattered. So you had to find a nonprofit model. So Oakland has a nonprofit that's like the independent that has tons more money. And they do arts, but they don't do reviews. I'm kind of hoping they just they just uh, steal everybody we throw out there and start doing reviews because they got the money. They got Google money. They got um, American Journalism <laughs> Project money. They got millions. They're like the Connecticut Mirror. So like, they're just not doing reviews. So like if we go out there and we get some voices to do reviews, I'm hoping that they incorporate that. Oh, I love it. So so the New Haven folks or people who read the New Haven Independent, not necessarily New Haven folks, because all kinds of people read the New Haven Independent. So they'll get uh, they'll get a taste for all of this uh, from all the places that yeah. you hubs. And then can they engage at this yeah. level? Like can they say, tell me more or I saw this when it was over there and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there'll be comments. Okay. We'll have the commenting on that. Yeah. And so will the people from those hubs, they won't necessarily need to come to the independent to comment. They'll be in their own backyard. It'll depend. In some cases, that's strange. That's true. Um, uh, the, uh, I'm not sure in every city. In some cities, we might be doing a newsletter where you get sent back to our website where the stuff is landed. Like in Tulsa, they won't. Tulsa, they're going to get their stories in their Tulsa publication. Some other places, they will be coming back to the independent, like definitely Hartford, right? Hartford's just going to be up there. Jamil's stuff already has been on our site, you know, Real Art Ways and, and the Free Jazz pieces he did last week were just runners regular reviews. So it, it'll be a mix. Won't be as much of a free flow and complete conversation together as it would be nice, but we'll have some for sure. And, and starting in September, we will have a newsletter that goes into a lot of these different cities that's separate that people will be able to, like if you're in Providence, we only do one a week or one every other week or Troy, Albany, you'll get the newsletter that has all these cities. And if you're interested, I don't know if you will be, that's something we're testing out, I'm not sure. You know, you will be able to come back and talk about it. So I know you don't like to travel. So this, does this mean you're gonna travel? No, Tulsa was different. <laughs> Tulsa, other places we're going with people, we know people who know their city. Here we had to go find the people who know their city. Okay. Okay. So Tulsa was our one experiment in saying a city that really needs us, what happens if we go in? Now, I'm not going to edit those Tulsa stories. I'm not going to have anything to do with what they decide to cover. But I just want to see it for myself. I want to okay. see who the people were, what the city was like. In the other places, we know the people, the people we trust and know, you know, sort of to scope it out. Okay. So what did you eat when you were in Tulsa? Did you <laughs> vegan, eat? Vegan, 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 vegan. Uh, what was the vegan scene like? Were you surprised? Were you? Yes. Yes. First one this place, Chimera, that had like, you know, it was... They must have had about a dozen vegan dishes that were really good, kind of like brunch food with tofu and tempeh, you know, that kind of good stuff. We went to another place that had amazing smoothies and bowls. Um, 
I would say there are at least 20 places that have some decent vegan options. And uh, we ate well. I know it's, it's strange. There's that weird, I mean, Tulsa? I don't think that used to be the case. <laughs> and it was uh, it was a really nice, pleasant surprise how, how nicely a vegan could eat that city. That's I, you know, I was wondering about that because I know vegan vegan restaurants are taking a stronghold in a lot of places, but I can't quite gauge the, the Midwest, right? Like I can't quite yeah. get that vibe. For I think you got to be there. in the blue dots. I've heard Nashville's definitely got them. You know, vegan as well as sort of combo, you know, stuff that has like real momish vegan, not just like the salad with all the meat taken out, you know, <laughs> or like, you know, the spaghetti meatballs without the meatballs, you know, real, real food we can eat. It's definitely, definitely changing. Definitely change it for the better. <laughs> so, so, um, so, are you glad that you went to Tulsa first? Like that was the place, and you feel like yeah, that it was, was exciting. I got the, I got a buzz. I got a lift. Besides having a great time, I felt great about the project. Really loved meeting the people. You know, the article I wrote wasn't as much arts as it was about the racial history of the place because it was so fascinating and the people we met. You know, I met this. This is one family's been putting out a Black Weekly since right after the riot. Their family was one of the families that had built up Black Wall Street and was very successful and had it all burned down. And then when urban renewal came, they tore down the Black neighborhood again. And part of the reason was that after the riot, because of the insurance companies not giving the same amount of money and other block they put up to rebuilding, they couldn't build up. They built it up again after the riot, but they couldn't build as sturdy the buildings. So when it came time for urban renewal, they said, oh, these aren't good buildings. Let's just knock them all down. That's blight. So they tore it down a second time. And the Eagle, that's the paper, this Goodwin family, they refused to go. They were the only building left. So I went to their, their place and they tried to build it up again. It's right next to this highway. It looks like a closed down building. You walk in the door, you just walk through all these empty Warren offices. And I go into this 84-year-old guy's office, this sweet guy, James Goodwin, third generation running it. He's also a lawyer. And he's all there at 84 years old. And he said, we're not going. You see that highway? We're not going. And he, his niece um, is, a, uh, is a state rep. She's like the Robin Porter of Oklahoma. And mm -hmm. they're, they're fighting to get that highway taken down the way we took down the 34 connector and have that land reclaimed for Black economic development. There's a real consciousness that people want to do stuff. And, and uh, there's just... Um, it's just how do you go about it is the argument. Wow, well, that's well, how do you, fascinating. Like, how do you recreate? Commerce is different. So if Black Wall Street were starting today, it wouldn't have the same stores, right? It wouldn't have the same. I think the lesson for me was Tulsa is the example of how it's really important. We talk about the way we can help economic development in cities, how we can help Black community. But that what's more important is to get out of the way and remove obstacles. So if you think about it, what the Black Wall Street really was in its day was because in the Deep South, there were so many restrictions on Black people doing anything to invest money or have business of freedom. At least in Oklahoma, while it was deeply racist, you were freer to build up your own business. You could do that. So all these people went there and they were free without the restriction. Yeah, they, they didn't get the same access to capital. They didn't have the same, you know, they didn't have the same rights other people had, but they were able to build up an area and that's why they burned it down because it was so successful yeah that was the barrier whereas building it up they didn't get help from anyone any well-meaning white people they didn't get government helping them build it up they built it up so i you know in urban renewal supposedly that was going to help the community that hurt it again now they're talking how do we help and they built this whole kind of museum that ended up being a nothing whereas this real excellent cultural center that's the real museum of the riot is uh the massacre is was put up by black people without all that money. 
And that's where they get the crowds. That's where the Crutchfield uh, Center is for the guy who was shot by the police. That's So I, while it is really nice that people talk about how do we help, I think what's more important is how do we get out of the way? And I would say tearing down the, um, uh, um, I think getting the barriers out of the way, like getting rid of the highway is the, is the most important thing to do. Mm. And is that uh, a real consideration? Like, is that, I mean, we did it here, but is that real consideration? There's a fight going on. So the state rep, the version of Ron Porter, got it approved by the government. So there's a fight. The State Department of Transportation wants to keep the highway up. And the, the group she put together had a different plan to take it down. And there's this, all this money from the federal government for cities to take highways down. They have to decide between the two plans. They initially decided on hers. <laughs> but, but the fight's going on. And it takes time. It is worth fighting. I like it. Well, it sounds like you had a really good time and a good experience. Uh, uh -huh. I didn't realize um, Tulsa was only 15% Black. I thought it would be higher. And it's 5% Native. But right outside their, their reservations. Okay. All right. And so what is the native art voice scene? Is there art scene for them? Like, is there, there, indivi there are individuals I found. I wasn't able to find an institution. I probably didn't look hard enough. Like they're definitely included when you're talking about like in the magazine that has the articles people doing stuff. There's a really wonderful artist on one of the main streets right by Black Wall Street who has a studio watching work while he has his art. I didn't see, I'm sure there's an organized entity either right outside the city that I didn't, I didn't find. Okay. So, like, so, so do you think you'll go back to Tulsa just to follow up or are you done? Not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, you probably, I mean, I would imagine that, you know, you tell this part of the story and then you go back and sort of say, this, yeah. is, this is where we well, are. I want to see Kane's Ballroom. They actually have a famous concert hall that um, a lot of the big musicians want to make sure to go to Tulsa. Like, I'm going to play Tulsa. I, I would like to go to Kane's Ballroom. Just didn't have anything going on that night. I was there. And I'd like to go to the AA Park. It's right downtown. And, uh, you know, when Bob Dylan came to Tulsa, he didn't go to his own museum. He went to the AA Park across the street when he was playing a concert. <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty good. <laughs> well, I, I, I love, I love this idea. I'm looking forward to it rolling out. I'm looking forward to just reading about local arts in other places. Um, because I think that's a good connecting tool. Uh, and I, I, I appreciate this. Thank you for your time this morning. Well, thank you. And do let us know how it goes. We need the feedback. And thank you for oh, being I will. You know, I'll in, the, have some in the mix. Okay. <laughs> but thank you so much. And uh, thank I'm so you. glad you had a good time. And I was quite impressed with your nightly crawl. Like you were thank out you. there in those streets. So We were channeling our inner babs. Yeah, yeah well. You did a damn good job. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate okay. you. All Me right, too. Harry Droves, thank you so much. We're out of here, but we're back tomorrow. That was Paul Bass, and he was talking about uh, this Tulsa Arts Review team that's going to, not well, not Tulsa, but just arts in general, local arts review team that's going to be rolled out. And uh, it's going to be a good opportunity for us to connect to other places about what their art scenes is looking like and get some critical review about what's happening in their neck of the woods. So I'm out. It's Monday. Y'all be safe out there. I'll be back tomorrow. Be back.